You are listening to a podcast of The View, where we discuss today's topics from an anti-racist, anti-oppressive, multicultural perspective. This podcast is brought to you by the Church of the Larger Fellowship. To subscribe, visit questformeaning.org or search for Church of the Larger Fellowship in the iTunes Store. introduce themselves and then I'm going to introduce our super fans we're very excited for today's show so Chris how are you hey folks I'm Christina Rivera I'm coming to you from Charlottesville Virginia and in Charlottesville we've just you know clearly just decided not to have winter at all and and um, we're fully into spring which hopefully me saying that will bring um, our final snow of the season I try and remember that my first year here our Christmas picture was actually um, a snowstorm from March 27th. Um, so I, I try not to get too too out ahead of this, but it's like 70 you know, degrees, so it's kind of hard um, <laughs> to get away from that. Michael, how you doing? Good morning, everyone. This is Michael Tino in Peekskill, New York, where it is a beautiful sunny spring day. My crocuses are blooming. My daffodils have sprouted. Um, I confirm that it is spring in New York, even if it snows uh, on March 25th, which is always a possibility. Um, I've got a cold that won't quit. It is not coronavirus because it started with sinus congestion. Um, but in honor of International Women's Day, I, your genderqueer panelist, will probably shut up for, for most of the hour uh, because I've got a froggy voice and a cough that won't go away. Lori Stone-Sertowski, you are doing tech today? Uh, yes, that's right. I'm hailing from Phoenix today, where the temperature is inching its way back up to a typical Phoenix weather. Uh, I think our highs are supposed to be in the mid-80s. I'm enjoying having all my windows open. And finally, in my office that I have uh, finally cleaned up enough to where I feel like I can sit in here, I'm really enjoying that. Um, I will be on Twitter and on our YouTube page monitoring the chat. So if you have a question or comment for our panelists, uh, just put it in the chat in YouTube and I will make sure that they get to it. Uh, and we really appreciate everyone coming. We've, we've already got seven folks online watching with us live. So yay us. I just wanted to say shout out to Antonia Bell Delgado who is writhing with the flu, not coronavirus, but miserable. And, and it's really been dragging on. It seems like Meadville just sent out a wave of the flu, which isn't over yet. So wash your hands, take care of yourself, everybody. Well, we are so excited about today's show and I'm happy that seven other people are actually watching us because usually that group would consist of our guests today, our, well, who we are calling our super fans, and we always count on them for be, being with us live on YouTube and asking awesome questions and making really uh, engaging comments. So our guest today, Kiana Perkins, has been in Unitarian Universalist spaces for 20 years. She currently works at the UU Ann Arbor Congregation, and her faith home is Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. And she is also the mama of two amazing children. Janine Gelsinger is the executive director of Unitarian Universalist Justice of Arizona. Yay! Um, the, oh, there it is, network. <laughs> I 
was guessing it was spelled out. She also serves the UUA, the Unitarian Universal Association, and the Unitarian Universal Ministers Association on the Joint Ethics Steering Team as a member uh, and is a member of UU Association of Membership Professionals. She uh, formerly served the UU Congregation of Phoenix as the Director of Membership and Welcoming Ministries. Her latest projects include working alongside a grassroots coalition to win civilian oversight of the Phoenix police, organizing over two dozen individual appointments with state legislatures. Wow, you go to successfully stop anti-immigration bills and securing a grant to bring the Transforming Hearts webinar to all UU congregations in Arizona. Um, do you find time to sleep, Janine? That's probably my first question. She is passionate about radical inclusion, radical justice, and radical shades of lipstick. Woohoo! And Tyrosinde de Perez is a UU religious professional at UU Phoenix, where she serves the director of children's ministry, telling stories, designing multi-generational spaces, and pushing into radically and pushing into a radically inclusive world. Amen. She also serves the UUA as a facilitator for UU of Youth of Color at Thrive and Young Adults at Meeting Makers. She's passionate about creating community in her neighborhood and in the greater Phoenix community, especially with regards to LGBTQ plus rights, foster kids, alternatives to policing and racial justice. In addition, she's a fierce mother, partner, daughter, friend, and community member. Her favorite things are colored markers, ketchup flavored potato chips, and liberation. Welcome. Um, I am delighted that I know all of you personally. We know all of you personally. Um, and so we, what we start with, and we're just going to have you jump in because you're basically co-hosts today uh, with UU Roundup. So if anybody has any um, things going on in the Unitarian Universalist world that they want to bring up, we could start there. I don't even know. What, I, you know I, I, I think the election, at least for me, the election, the uh, primaries has taken over and coronavirus because I'm in Seattle. Um, has taken over everything. So I, don't, I actually don't even know what's been going on. In you. Has anything been going on in UU World? They announced a bunch of speakers. <laughs> I know some of them. Um, <laughs> chime in or Meg. I, I know for, one of them is For Dr. General Ryan. Assembly. Yes, for General Assembly. Sorry, you guys aren't <laughs> in my head. We're going to have to work that out. We're sometimes <laughs> in my head. For General Assembly, they, they opened up housing this week. So if that's something that's a priority for you. And also they um, announced a bunch of speakers for different things. So we have uh, Dr. Rosemary and Dr. Elias are gonna be there. And then um, Reverend Robin, whose last name I'm not gonna mess up. Um, and then the folks who wrote the book, of the, the book that we're all supposed to be reading, Indigenous People's History, that author will be there. Oh and God, I, I was going to say, and Howard Bryant is going to be there um, as one of the speakers, and John Buren. So General Assembly, so anybody, I've been asked, a couple of people asked me if, if there's even discussion of General Assembly being canceled. I don't think so, um, but... Who the fuck? Who the I, heck knows? I mean, I haven't heard it, but I do wonder because other events that are similar sized are being canceled by a number of groups. You know, um, I've wondered that about all kinds of meetings. Uh, I've been on ten planes in the last month and have reservations on about twenty more, and I'd I'd be thrilled if any of it was canceled. Honestly. 
Well, we know the next big UU thing, uh, or big, uh, is uh, Finding Our Way Home, the retreat that Chris and I and Kiana and Ty will be at. And it's not canceled. I mean, we just got um, confirmation that it's going forward. Alaska Airlines sent me an email saying they are uh, being much more diligent about washing the plane, uh, disinfecting the planes, which I don't think they did before, which why, but so uh, Ty, did you have something? I was going to comment on finding our way home. I think a lot of people probably don't know what it is. And it's a retreat space for UU religious professionals of color. And as we get through sort of the winter holidays and through January and through the program year, staff gets tired. And these are all people who are staff in various levels of UUism and imagine carrying the burden of dealing with racism, dealing with white supremacy and being a professional in a field and giving the people who are facing big hard issues around white supremacy, all the pastoral comfort that you need to give them because of your position, all of those things, and also being a victim of what you're comforting them about is exhausting. So if you're listening or watching and you don't know what Finding Our Way Home is, Google it, it's on the UUA page. It's amazing for religious professionals of color. And for me, um, this year, not so much. I've had a lot of strength this year, but two years ago, it's the only reason I could keep doing my job. I left and Janine can attest that she was terrified I wasn't coming back afterwards, but the strength and stuff that staff get and UUA professionals get by going is important. And I think it's important that we as a faith continue to honor protected spaces and nurturing people who need those protected spaces. I think it's an amazing commitment that the UUA makes and that all of us make. So. Amen, thank you for that. Chris, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna give a shout out to um, uh, Barb Grieve and Alex Capitan who have gifted us with the UU Lent. Um, this season and I have just been really blessed by um, the folks who are participating on, I, on my Facebook feed and seeing what they are um, using to help nurture themselves during Lent. And so if anybody has questions about it, you can just um, search for hashtag UULent on Facebook, I'm sure on Twitter as well. Um, and you will see uh, that they they came out with a, um, a full Lenten calendar. And in their words, rather than a practice of self-denial, we offer this opportunity to spend the season engaged in a spiritual discipline of deep intention and appreciation in our world, our place in it, and an openness to grace in our daily lives. So each day has a Lenten theme like wisdom or courage or remorse or trust. Um, and it's just been really beautiful. And, and I just, I really appreciate when we as a faith um, can do things that are, um, that, that are intentional about um, recapturing the spirit of something that has, that is part of our faith. Um, and that we have, um, you know, in some ways, try to distance ourselves from, but then also trying to reimagine what it can mean to us as Unitarian Universalists. Um, so I just really, it's one of the things I've been looking forward to um, in just a shit show of a political season. Um, and so I, I really appreciate that. Um, to piggyback off what Chris said, um, I literally just took a picture because the word of the day is community. Um, and I was like, oh, this is community. Boom. Um, so it's been really intense to like each day be intentional 
um, which I think what that is what Lent is for me is a lot about intentionality and just slowing down and paying attention. Um, I'm also really blessed that Blue Black Lives Unitarian Universalism is doing. I must have it over there. That's why I looked over there. Um, I don't want to mess up the name of the book. The point I'm trying to make is we're doing a blue salon. Or, oh yeah, that word. Um, a blue salon around Lent and intentional practice and reading. So every Monday for the next seven weeks, we're coming together as community. Um, and it's, um, I'm excited. Like, I'm like, did I read my part today? Do I, did I think about community? And so I hope it can hold for the 40 days. Um, and I just wanted to say also that I feel like it's super important that if we say we're a pluralistic, multi, you know, iteration of faith community, then we should have different kinds of ways that we worship and engage and dialogue and have conversation. So um, respecting the things that we have value with, with Christian or Catholic community, which might be Lent, might be, you know, whatever that is, that we can take those things and um, weave them into who we are as, as faithful people. Amen. Thank you for that. Um, so the three of you are, are living your faith out loud. And before we get into your favorite view episodes, which I am interested in, I would like to hear from each of you more about um, what is just at the forefront of these long lists of things you're doing. And Kiana, I know you are uh, just one of the art leaders with babies and bailouts. Do you want to start with that and tell us what's happening this year? I can do that and that'll be good because then I can be quiet um, for a little while. Um, so Babies and Bailouts was a project started with Black Lives Unitarian Universalists. Um, I'm on a team called Team Sankofa and we are the um, kind of, the, we help incubate social justice campaigns for Blue, um, looking at their viability and making sure that, you know, when we do them, they're on a national scale. Um, we formed in 2018, and in 2019, we did the first year of Babies and Bailout. Um, it was an opportunity to educate about the impact of bail um, on communities of color and simultaneously raise funds to get mothers free on um, Mother's Day with National Bailout Project, uh, uh, National Bailout, which is, um, so, you know, we had some stumbling blocks last year. It looked a little different and we were still really learning how to like stretch it nationally because how you do things in a brick and mortar one building versus nationally. Um, we also took that model a little bit further and were able to add in Zoom and having, um, I think models of presentation have really been like, we all come in a room and then the big speakers in front and we kind of took that model and said, what if we had the speakers wherever they need to be, like we're doing. and uh, bring the information to the people, but not have to bring the people to all the people. It saves a lot of money on travel and expenses and, and all of those good things, but you still get all of the, the goodness. So we did a watch party education last year. Um, that was really on bail 101. This year, we're really looking at um, a couple of things. One of them is still having the watch party, the babies and bailouts watch party and fundraising efforts. Um, I think our education this year will focus a little bit more on the impact um, on children in uh, who are experiencing incarceration, because even though um, parents experience it, our caregivers experience it, children experience it too on many levels. So we're looking at that just a little bit more. We're pulling the panel together, but on April 26th, we advocate that all folks, um, 
make that the day that you anticipate having a watch party at or around. That's the date if you want to collect uh, the basket at church, at your physical brick and mortar congregation. There's a form that you can fill out um, that I believe Lori is putting out there. Um, and that form lets us know that you're interested so that we stay connected to you and give you the resources and tools and the Babies and Bailouts 2020 guide so that you have what you need to feel successful in your congregations if you're going to do a watch party and a donation drive. Um, and in addition, I would just say anytime you can get get people free, that's what you want to do. Um, so whether it's raising money or education or uh, a diaper drive, whatever it is, we're just trying to get folks out of cages. And so um, we can be that conduit through babies and bailouts. We can give you some resources if our time frame doesn't work for your community. Um, as long as the work you're doing is getting folks free, we're, we're here to support that. So uh, for our podcast, I'm going to go ahead and just say out this URL. It, you can go to sign up for Babies and Bailout. Uh, you can find this link on the Blue Facebook page or their Blue homepage, which is uh, blacklivesuu.com. Or you can go to bit.ly link, which is bit.ly slash B-L-U-U-B-B 2020. So that stands for Blue Babies and Bailouts 2020. So Blue BB 2020. Um, and uh, all lowercase because bit.ly links are case sensitive. So. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and stop the share and turn it back over to the panel. And I just want to say we raised a significant amount of money and I spent some time in Nashville with National Bailout last week. Um, when I say significant, what you can do with $5,000 in a place like Kansas City you can get so many people free who maybe are there because this is my favorite. I didn't pay my light bill. So you're putting me in jail. So if you, I can't pay my light bill. How you think I'm going to pay bail? It's a system. It's systematic. And so you can take a place like, you know, like I said, Kansas city and you take $5,000 and you're getting five or six women free once all those, you know, everything adds up. So, um, even if you think you're in a community that isn't impacted or isn't, um, you can do, you can, you got something you can do no matter where you are at that point. I'm going to press mute and I'm not going to talk for five whole minutes. Time starts now. Can I ask you a question though, Kiana? Because I keep thinking I get this. And then you say you don't pay a light bill. It's illegal not to pay your light bill. I mean, what? I think, okay, one, I'm being exaggerant. And I'm not. So I'll use Detroit for an example. Let's say that you can't afford car insurance because it's like $600 a month, right? Life happens. Insurance is arbitrary, right? So now you have tickets that are stacked up on your car, but you still need to go to work every day and take your kids to school. And the police know your car by now. So they'd be waiting for you. So you can barely leave your neighborhood. You can barely go get the things that you need to take care of your family. You already work in two part-time jobs that do not pay $15 an hour. You already got this child support lien going. So now they done now they done snatched you up. Now you owe so much money. So if I can't pay you, let's say two thousand dollars in parking tickets, how the hell am I pay bail? And you set my bail at two thousand dollars. This is the same two thousand dollars I just didn't have. So now I'm at four thousand and all I did was take my kids to school and go to work. So it's a systemic, it's a way to track people down, it's a way to infiltrate in folks' lives in these really small ways. So when your bail, you know, 
when your bill's just even $2,000, which may not seem like a lot, if your family's already hustling, $200, depending on your state, can be like, whew. Thank you. Um, thank you, Kiana, so much. And and there is a question from Chris Lund about how each of us is dealing with the current political climate. And what I want to do, and if everyone is okay with this, is what, what we focus on grows bigger. And I really want to focus on the work you're doing, amazing work of living out loud, living our faith out loud and, and, and um, working on the ground, doing what needs to be done. So we have ba babies and bailouts. Ty, do you want to start talking about your initiatives and then we'll go to Janine? Let's put out there, go local. Someone posted, you know what? Let's go local. Let's do what we can do within our spheres and what we have control over. Because I, I don't want to give in to despair or fucking outrage. I don't want to keep doing that. So let's, let's fix the world, people. Ty, you are next. <laughs> oh, great. Just that little thing of fixing the world. Okay. <laughs> I think go local is it. I think building our networks and looking our, at our communities, um, and it might be geographically local, but we have the internet. We know how to talk to one another. You all are my local sometimes too, and making sure that we're investing in those relationships. So it means, you know, checking on people, um, you weird random vague booking, making sure they're okay, practicing all the ways that we know how to do pastoral care naturally as community members and remembering that our faith says, you know, God doesn't ordain us as perfect and holy and capable of doing pastoral care. And therefore you're the person who does it because you're a minister or a chaplain or whatever. But our faith really does say, we all got to take care of each other. And I think that's huge, huge, huge. Um, with the political climate and with Corona and with stuff, but just being scary. I've been thinking a lot about worship and faith practices and spiritual practices. And there's this generation of people who thought it was cool to be an atheist and thought being an atheist meant, I don't believe in anything. Don't talk to me about that stuff. It's foolish. And working with people and their kids, because that's who I deal with a lot and saying, atheism is a spirituality. Like let's invest in your faith. Let's invest in your soul. And let's invest in general in who deserves to worship. And I have come to meeting and meeting again, be it my worship team at my congregation or in drive planning spaces and say, who deserves to be in worship? Who deserves the practice of community worship and private worship? And it's everyone, it's effing everyone. And so the thing I've really been pushing into is creating spaces that allow for everyone to be in them. I think we've had this idea that kids have to be trained to be part of Sunday worship. They have to like pass Sunday school. Um, I always joke that you can't fail Sunday school, but there are tons of congregations where we treat children like they can fail Sunday school. And then we act like our elders have to be able to drive. Like, can you make it to church on Sunday? Well, if you can make it to service on Sunday, then blah, blah, blah. Some of them aren't gonna be able to and they still deserve worship. And so how do we invest back in those communities? How do we understand what their spiritual practices look like? And how do we support them, not just as faith professionals, but as members of a faith community that takes our faith seriously. Um, I think that a lot of that looks a lot of different ways as a UU working locally. I have a neighborhood that is building up a, re a reputation for its um, sometimes pro-Nazi stances, um, which is horrifying. Um, and we had a community meeting the other night and I made us start with a moment of reflection. We started with a prayer, let's be serious, but I called it a moment of reflection. And that's 
where we got to start doing stuff is remember that we're on the ground together because we're together. And for me, it's about connecting to the greater world and connecting to everyone. So focusing in on giving everyone access to worship, because if we're not worshiping, this is going to feel hopeless real fast if it doesn't already. So that's where I'm at. Janine. Hello. So, yeah, I mean, what a great question about the political climate and what we're doing. I really resonate with Go Local. Um, when we think about some of these down ballot races, we really think about how we can make a difference in our communities that will impact our people right away. And if you have those values-based conversations with people, they'll vote the top of the ticket when they fill out their ballot. Uh, one thing that's happening in Arizona right now, which is really exciting, I just got a call this morning with two UUs that are both at the table for education ballot initiatives, and then there's a third ballot initiative, Outlaw Dirty Money, that's happening in our state. All three of those have UUs in leadership to get those initiatives on the ballot. So there's a Invest in Ed ballot initiative that's all about um, securing money in the budget for education because in Arizona, that's not something we do. And then there's a Save Our Schools ballot initiative that helps to prevent these voucher expansion bills that we see over and over and over and over in our state legislature. So I'm really proud that UUs are getting involved in, in affecting their state at a local level. I also about, think about things like the county attorney races right? So in Maricopa County, where Phoenix is, there are seven Democrats running for county attorney. And for our UU folks who just say, oh, you know, vote blue no matter who, just check the D box and we'll all be fine. That's not gonna work in this case. Those seven people are different. And so what do our values call us to when we have these values-based conversations? Do we look at people who are saying, we wanna end private prisons in our state? We want to end cash bail as like, these are things that are really important conversations and they get missed if we don't focus on these down ballot um, initiatives on our down ballot races. I also think about our county recorder, right? So in 2016 in Arizona, it looked a lot like how Texas is right now with voter suppression efforts. We went from 200 polling places open to 60 right before the 2016 election. People were in line for five hours. People were in line past midnight to vote. And then what happened is we elected Adrian Fontes as our county recorder. And since then, we have tons more polling places open. You can find your polling place a lot easier online. Your ballot comes with better instructions. There's so many things that are happening to reduce voter suppression. And that was from a county recorder election that a lot of people don't even pay attention to on their ballots. So yes. I wanted to before you move on say, Janine, you already were on the phone with people this morning. I'm seeing what Aisha asked about. Because <laughs> what time is it out there? It's really early. I'm, I'm just, I'm amazed and really excited about that county race. I mean, things like that make such a difference. I just wanted to point out that we have three kick-ass folks from Arizona. So I think when um, we, when folks, um, we stereotype entire states, and I hear this a lot from UUs in the South who are kind of sick of Northerners making fun of and putting down 
uh, the entire South. And uh, there are a lot of progressive movements in states that sometimes get written off by, uh, dare I say, liberal elites. So I just want to throw out, let's not do that. Um, do any other co-hosts jump in? Uh, Ty? Yeah, I just want to say, similar with feelings about the South, we talk about immigration a lot. We talk about immigration a lot in UU circles. Come on down to La Frontera. The border is a different place. Living in a border state is a different place. Whatever ideas folks have about it, come see us, come talk to us, because I say this all the time, but the revolution is here. There's a reason that three of us are on this call right now and that we've invested our lives in Arizona is because we're working our butts off to be here. I grew up in New England. I could be sitting at home drinking tea in Western Mass and I wouldn't feel like I was getting stuff done, to be honest. And come on down, like literally come stay at my house. It's full of six people, but come stay at my house. I'll show you all about the border. It's a different view. God bless you, Ty. Um, I wanted to also uh, highlight that uh, police brutality in, is, a, is real here and it is, uh, it is uh, just, it's, it's in our detention centers and in our local police and our prisons. And I think what we need to do, and it's still, it's everywhere still in, around the country, but in Phoenix, uh, last year we had, um, well, what a local group, Poder in Action, termed the, the nation's deadliest police force, because we literally were. So we were doing some direct actions last year. Uh, and I'm gonna go ahead and show, I'm sorry, I think the mute for just a second. <laughs> there we go. I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to show you guys a uh, direct action that Poder in action um, uh, organized. And then I'm going to hand it over to Janine to talk about the progress uh, on this, on, on holding police more accountable. So this is what we did last year. Let me see if I can find my, there it is. Um, can y'all see that? No, you're not seeing it. Let me see something dark, just just empty. Oh, okay. So I I will fix that. Thank you. Um, it's what about now? Can y'all see? the screen. Okay. So we were able to, there were three of us that were able to unfurl this 26 foot long, uh, six foot tall sign during the budget hearing for the police force last year, when we were asking to completely defund the police force. So we went from this direct action uh, to then moving away from the disruption toward the dismantling. And that's where I'm going to turn it over to uh, uh, Janine to talk a little bit more about that update. Yeah, that was an amazing action. Thanks, Lori. So, um, in 2018, the Phoenix PD killed 44 people. It was the highest in the entire country, higher than New York, LA, Chicago, we also were the largest city in the country to not have civilian oversight of the police. And so what that meant is cops were policing cops. So if you had a complaint about police brutality, you would bring it to the police and ask them to police themselves. And um, as religious folks, we know a thing or two about accountability. And just as ministers cannot only be accountable to other ministers and priests cannot be only accountable to other priests, 
doesn't work for cops to only police themselves. So UU Jazz joined with a coalition of 10 other groups, including Poder in Action, Puente Human Rights Movement, uh, Phoenix Local Organizing Collective, uh, Black Phoenix Organizing Collective, Equality Arizona, a group of queer and trans folks, so many people that decided that enough was enough. After the events of this summer, where some of you might have seen the viral video with um, police uh, holding a pregnant mother at gunpoint, um, yelling at her that they were going to shoot her in the effing head, having her put her toddler on the hot asphalt in Phoenix. We had a meeting at one of the local churches that had hundreds and hundreds of people show up and demand an end to this. So for the last six months, we've been organizing as a collective and working to get civilian oversight for the Phoenix PD. We won it last week at a city council meeting, and we went from the largest city in the country without it to the most progressive model in the country that we now have community oversight of the police completely separate from the department which is a huge, huge win. And that only happened because of community, because of all the UUs and ministers that called their city council members, that scheduled meetings, that spoke at city council meetings, that 200 people showed up wearing our matching cops should be accountable to people t-shirts. Um, it was a really huge win, but it really shows you what community can do and what organizing does when it works. Yana? And what it takes to do this kind of work in a um, it, in this environment, right? In this climate where it can hope, hopelessness is something we can give into, and none of this work would have been done if we had given into that. Um, I guess I wanted to just all of us are doing, you know, this local organizing and the organizing that um, I've been doing on the so babies and bailouts is national. But the local work that I've been doing um, is twofold. One, I'm, I wish I had one with me. I'm so shameless, y'all. Um, actually, I'll go get it in a second. Um, I've been doing writing with other women of color here in Washtenaw County, which is just south of Detroit. Um, we're on our second year. And our theme this year is that our stories did not start with our trauma. Um, and so really empowering women of color who are usually really unseen, unheard, un, um, and not really respected um, in these communities are doing some amazing work. And to bring that even more forward, they've started a small local group, not small, we are mighty, um, called uh, Liberate, Don't Incarcerate. Um, Lori, I gave you the link. I don't know if you want, it's just a, you, a Facebook page, but it's over there. Can you see where I'm pointing on my screen? No, you can't. Um, but they created this document called Liberate, Don't Incarcerate with about 12 different voices from Washtenaw County. So I'm really trying to support that effort. Um, we also have another local youth group that's come together. Um, I won't remember, they're um, outnumbered. So a couple of weeks ago, or I guess now about six weeks ago, uh, a local school district that my, the church actually borders, um, a school district that the church borders with Celine, um, they were having a school district meeting and somebody was talking about their kids' experience of racism and uh, somebody in the room decided to stand up and say, well, why didn't you just stay in Mexico? Um, yes, this was on national TV and it was a nice little community. So those kids and those youth and the folks who support those youth have um, rallied and created a, a, a space called um, Outnumbered 
Um, and they've been doing local work all around, speaking, talking, um, educating folks. So we have a lot of, you know, every time there's a fire, somebody's working to put it out. Um, it's not just like, oh, there's a big blaze. I hope that works out for everybody. Um, as soon as that gentleman said that, everybody in the room addressed that. Um, the youth addressed it, the adults who support them. Um, Liberate Don't Incarcerate is this amazing space. Um, uh, several of the, the folks who are part of my Untold, um, the book folks who I work with, um, have put this together and are trying to just make voices and relationship and connection the way that they're organizing. Um, everything's based on relationship. Everything's based on connection. Um, and I, I guess I also just wanted to acknowledge um, both of you, like even just reading your bios, I was like, whoa, you guys are doing tremendous work. You were on the ground, boots deep doing the work. And I just, um, it's the work that needs to be done, not the work you think you, sh you should be doing. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, it's so easy sometimes to step back and do the work you think you're supposed to be doing and not the work that feels good in your heart and resonates with your spirit. Um, so I appreciate that very much. Yeah, I'm blown away by everybody. I mean, you're all not even just inspiring, but just um, leading the way. So thank you for that. I'm your super fan. Um, yeah, if our super fans were not amazing people doing incredible work, we wouldn't have bothered to invite you on. So just to be clear, uh, you're amazing people doing incredible work and we love you. Here's the thing is that we're not, oh, first we have to look at Kiana's book. Yeah, and she's also on the cover. I think she's covering her face. There she is. Yeah. But we, it may seem like we're doing a lot. <laughs> and Janine is really good at writing bios, so we can look like we're doing tons. But the thing is, if we sat down with anyone in our communities and said, what are you doing in your life? What's pushing you? What's pulling you? Who are you giving love to and where? We would find all of that shiny magic stuff because it's in everyone. And part of being a member of a faith community or doing this work in general or responding to view comments because you have to stay home for half an hour and it's Thursday morning is pushing into those spaces and making those connections and saying, wait, this gives me passion, this gives me drive. And I think that part of what CLF does for me and view in general is as a faith professional, I get to geek out in a way that I don't normally and I don't in my workspace, right? Because it's my professional role um, and I don't necessarily get to with my families and my community because a lot of those are very congregationally linked, but I get to be in this external space on the view where I get to think really deeply about how is education inequality attached to how I feel about my faith and spirituality and why do I have to fight for it because my faith said so. Um, this platform is amazing. It's not because, I mean, the three of us are awesome. I'll say that. But that's not why we're the three that are here. The 15 people that are currently watching, whatever that number is, are also amazing and doing amazing things. Um, you know, I think of, uh, we had a congregation member who cooked uh, beef, beef stew very fancily to bring to the, court, to the jailhouse when we were waiting for people to come out. People can cook stew and where you bring it is what makes the difference. And it's about giving people a place to bring stuff. Right? And that's what The View does, and that's what CLF does. Um, and a lot of us can't necessarily join CLF formally because of expectations in our home congregation. And this space is huge for you, you professionals. The space is really huge. So thank you all, all, all for the work you do here, because it's, it's huge. I'm so grateful for it.
Yeah, I want to say too that like, I mean, I love hearing the praise for us from the view hosts because I'm definitely your super fan. And if I wasn't wearing this shirt, I would be wearing my fan shirt with all your faces on it that I wanted to make us for today. Um, but I mean, the reason that we're super fans is because we need a place to be rooted in our faith. We need that grounding to be able to do any of the stuff that we attempt to do. Um, and I know for me, because I now support all the congregations in Arizona, I don't have a home congregation. And that was really hard. Um, I had to figure out how to piece together church for myself. Like, can I make myself a playlist with songs that make me feel good? And can I make sure that I'm reading Graver Wiser every week to get that little snippet? And like, where can I have these conversations that I used to have with Katie, my work wife, and the rest of the staff around Unitarian Universalism and what is happening in our denomination? And, and the view on Thursdays is on my calendar every week because I need it. I need it to feel connected. And, you know, when I, um, when I was let go from my position at the congregation I was at, I was struggling and I, um, I really needed a community and I really needed a minister at a time that I didn't have one. And, um, I talked to Alex Capitan, um, and Z said, you are not wrong about your faith. And that was just something that kept me going. And the way that I knew I wasn't wrong about my faith is I could watch the view and hear you all saying the things that I was feeling too. Um, and it kept, it kept me a UU. Sorry for the, sorry for all the feels folks. Love the feels. Yeah. The feels are why we're here together. I mean, I think that that is not just why we're here together on the view, but why the church of the larger fellowship exists as well. And is the view it's no, <clears throat> mistake it's not um, coincidental that the view is a project of the church and the larger fellowship um, and AJ Van Tyne just commented in his in their minister's report I include a line in the section about being connected denominationally where I say yeah I watch the view so I know what's going on in UU universe um, and so yeah I think that that the Church of the Larger Fellowship isn't just for people who don't have a local congregation. Um, and I think that, you know, having that connection for religious professionals um, is huge. Um, but also just for folks that, you know, maybe that local congregation, and I can think of some out there right now <laughs> that you just cannot attend. You can't get on board with what's going on there. Uh, for whatever reasons, and you need a community. I think I thought I saw a question roll by about how I, I guess I would just I want to piggyback off what Ty was saying that essentially for me, where I'm the same place that allows me to have a connection with spirit or God or goddess or the word that makes you feel most at peace is the same place from which I know I need to liberate people. It, it comes from the same root. It is the same tree. And anytime I've tried to separate what I know to be spirit from what I know to do what's right, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. So I'm trying to get people out of cages and liberate people through babies and bailouts using my words with untold stories, shamelessly selling my daughter's Girl Scout cookies 
Um, there's a, a link available if you go to Kiana's uh, uh, Facebook page. Um, whatever that liberation looks like, if it's not connected to my, my what I'm using the word that feels good for me, which is goddess core, then it's not right. And so I think part of being you, you for me is, is those two things are intrinsically tied together. Um, that my faith walk and my activism walk mirror each other in almost our parallel walks for me. Um, the more I grow in my faith, the more I grow in my activism and vice versa. So I don't know who asked the question, but I'll just say it's, in, it's imperative for me. If I left this church, if I left the physical church, brick and mortar or blue, I would still do, do good work, but it wouldn't feel the same. It wouldn't, it wouldn't tick the same. Uh, Catherine Childs asked, how do you articulate the ways that your faith informs the work that you're doing? Um, that's a great question. Go ahead, Ty. I'm just going to say I want to do a quick goldfish shout out. Hi, Catherine. I love you. <laughs> I, but I think that's also part of it, right, is the ways that we connect community and the way that we see one another and push in and value those relationships. I think that Kiana having that test of does this fit with my goddess core, does this fit with the way spirit moves me, is an important call. Um, I love working with kids and talking about faith because I can talk to a three-year-old about death and morality in deep, deep ways that a 32-year-old is terrified to get to. And a lot of what I do in my activism and just living out my values in my work is thinking back to that three-year-old and how can we all get back to that space where we're willing to go, yeah, the world is connected. Yeah, these issues are big and my little heart and my little brain can hold them because I have all these other community members to help me. And that community connection that kids have helps us build faith and strength and letting them kind of mentor us. And that is huge, huge, huge. Um, there was something else you said, Kiana. Oh, is that, I think we, a lot of us in the US have this idea, maybe Canada too, Catherine, um, that you have to be somehow worthy or sanctified to be a holy person. And as you use, we're part of a faith that says we're all holy people. And so being moral, being living out your values can happen at every single moment. And it isn't a huge sacrifice and it isn't a huge work because it's just what we do. And it's just how we live in the world and teaching one another that if you need space to figure out what your values are about decision A or B, if it's like eating a taco or eating pizza today, it's okay to take that space because even though you're not a monk, even though you're not living some aesthetic life, putting your values into your steps is valuable and is worthy and makes our world a better place. And just reiterating with people like, yeah, you can do this based on what you believe. And giving people that power is really, really important to me. And when you tell people things like, you get to choose, are you gonna take half a day off for work or come to city council? What do your values tell you? Do you need that dollar? And maybe you do. Or do you need to show up and feel strong? We get a lot more people at city council meetings. And down with capitalism, that's an important part. Amen. Uh, Chris Lund asks, how do you all, first time viewer, yay, welcome Chris. How do you all prioritize what causes and needs there are? It's a great question. I feel like there's a lot of causes that need help, but only so much I can do. So one of you can take that. Partnership, 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 partnership. What are the people in your community calling for? What are the people who are on the margins in your community calling for? What do they need the most? And where is that energy? And forming those partnerships in the community are really where you're going to know what folks need and where you should put your energy behind 
the question for your partners is always, how can I support your work? Um, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We don't need to be anyone's saviors. We need to come behind and ask how we can support that work and put all of our resources and our energy in lifting up those voices because here in Arizona, and I'm sure in almost all places, it's really the people most affected that have the solutions that know what to do. And they're already doing that work. And we need to, uh, as you use, get behind and show up for that. I feel like you need to say that four times again. <laughs> yeah. To piggyback off of that, I, I had mentioned earlier that, uh, the direct action that we did was uh, led by Poder in Action, and Janine had also said that Poder in Action was part of the partnership, the coalition uh, that led to the Civilian Review Board. And I will say that I did not know, when I first came here, I did not know Poder in Action's work. I, I knew Puente. Puente is much bigger and more well-funded um, and, and just has been around for a very long time. But uh, I learned about Put Air in Action at an NAACP meeting from the Black Lives Matter chapter that was presenting to the NAACP uh, community. And so there was a little bit of a, like, oh man, I really want to know, because they were queer women and youth organized. And I was like, yes, these, this is the group I need to learn about and find out what their priorities are. And so I just, uh, you know, went, you know, signed up uh, for, to be called uh, to be volunteer and then asked, you know, and, and basically just listened for like a year, <laughs> like it, you know, didn't try to like, you know, propose any projects, just listened, gave money when they needed it and showed up. And so when I could, like I gave rides to kids from high school who wanted to come down to the city council and go to their first protest, you know, that kind of stuff. So when we talk about, I think Kiana mentioned it with the um, incarcerate, liberate, don't incarcerate group about relationship being at the center. That's what it's about. So I went there, not with my own agenda, but with just my, the only agenda I had was to, to get to know people and listen. And, and I would add that, um, so a lot of times people see <clears throat> actions like that or, or um, you know, protests or organizing or things like that. And they want to look like, how can I do that? I want to do that thing. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, sometimes that's not where your skill set is. <laughs> and sometimes we don't need you doing that thing. Right. We need you doing the thing where you're cutting out, you know, 100 flyers or, you know, cleaning up the kitchen or uh, making lemonade. Like there may be just some really things that you don't think <clears throat> are important to liberation that are. And and so I would say, you know, do a real deep skills assessment of yourself, you know, when, when you're going out there to. Um, to know where your skill set is and what you have to offer and, while you're trying to make that, that correct match. Because um, if you're going into it to be able to be on doing, you know, that type of action, you, you just may want to interrogate what your, what your um, motivation is. And I think it's really, really important to think about how misogyny plays into how we value different roles. Because when you're doing your skills assessment, 
Think about things like babysitting and cooking that fancy beef soup. If you're like, well, that's not really important or cutting out the pieces of paper, that's not really important. What you're saying is that the work that your mothers and your grandmothers and all of those women did before you wasn't important. And that's BS. We know that that work is important and that builds community. And that's how our family stuck together for years and years was we pushed all the nurturing work onto women. And then how dare we say it's not important. So part of that is also when we are the activists and the organizers who are asking for help, making sure that we're not devaluing, I need someone to watch my kids. I need somewhere to park my car. Can someone do my laundry? And I know Kiana does an amazing ministry <laughs> within her community around dishes. <laughs> I'll just say within just friend groups and stuff. But stuff like that is what matters. And it's not like, ooh, I want someone to clean for me. It's that this is the only way that the activists are gonna get out the door in the morning. And also to pay attention to emotional health and physical health, right? What do you do when a community member is, has the flu? What do you do when they're coping with depression? Work with them, be there with them. You know, make sure you're asking for those needs and heaven above, do not degrade the work of childcare, of making a bed, of doing laundry. Because my grandma was strong. She did that stuff. My aunties were amazing and they did that stuff and they made me who I am. My mama too, of course. Or show up at the jail with tacos. I mean, Katie, how many times have we, for every minute that we are at a press conference or unfurling a banner or doing something that seems like exciting, glamorous activism, we're spending eight hours on the steps of Fourth Avenue Jail showing up with a hundred tacos and feeding all the people waiting to see if their loved ones who got arrested are right. Like there's that work of nurturing and caring and taking the less glamorous role is the way that you build relationship because you're not in it for the, the glamour and the press. You're in it to see how can I feed you? How can I support you? How can I watch your kids and do the, the support work? One of our strongest partnerships is with Quinta Human Rights Movement. But the way that we built that relationship was that we, they, we asked what they needed and they said babysitting during our meetings. And, you know, if we would have said, oh, no, no, we want to do, you know, the organizing work, that relationship never would have happened. You show up the way that people ask you to show up and don't ever think it's a lesser role. So um, I know we only have a few minutes. I, the two things I want to say is relationships matter. Get into them. Get into them deep. Um, know your ministry. I, I, am not, uh, I am not in the choir. That's not my ministry. Music is not my ministry, and I've made peace with that. So find your ministry. And if it's cooking stew or watching the kids or being the person who's available at 2 a.m. when we know somebody's going to get out of jail in a transportation desert with literally half the things that they went to jail with because jail doesn't care if you get your stuff back. If that's your ministry, if you're a two o'clock in the morning owl, be in that ministry and do it well. And then um, I would just say, I've been thinking a lot about big M's and little M's, big ministry, little ministry, big minister, little minister, um, big R, little R, reverend and reverend. Um, and, and navigating all of that and just to say the work that we're doing, all of it is ministry. Um, just because it doesn't have an MDiv behind it doesn't mean it's less valuable. It's just different. And if we're going to make the wheels work, if it's going to move forward, we need all the spokes, we need all the parts, and all of them have to be valued. Um, 
as much as, you know, Reverend Manish has done all of these amazing things, he comes to me because my, my ministry and my work is different. My perspective is different and it has value. So I would just say, continue to value the resources in your community, even if they don't look like what colonized resources look like. So we'll just leave that there and you can decipher that later. Uh, shamelessly buy my child's cookies. She's got 38 boxes to go. I'm a, I'm a hustler. So I'm gonna just hustle my baby's cookies, no shame. And I'm glad that we're not doing this work alone. I'm glad that if I run to Phoenix, I have support. And if y'all come to Ann Arbor, Detroit, you'll have that backup too. Wherever work we're doing, we're doing it together. Kiana, I can buy Girl Scout cookies from Michigan and Minnesota. Is that what you're saying to me? Um, it's an online link. Yeah, I saw the link, so but I can get them here in Minnesota. They deliver them, girl, to oh, your house. No. <laughs> yes, girl, you don't even got to leave the crib no more. <laughs> you don't even got to look. Just click the buttons, and then in about four, maybe six days, you'll have some cookies at your house. You'll be like, oh, my God. <laughs> in your pajamas still. Still in your PJs with the cookies. It's private, I know, I know. Listen, I don't know what other better way to end this amazing show, but the Girl Scout cookie ministry that will come to your door. Uh, I want to say the lemon cookies that are new are amazing. I bought them. So just know, you know, I know the Thin Mints are the top, top, uh, you know, dog, but um, I can't thank you enough for this show. I feel, so, I mean, this has just been a shit week for so many reasons. And I am so grateful for everybody. Uh, our co-hosts, everybody, Lori, Ty, Janine, Kiana, Chris, Michael, Meg. Uh, I next week we have we tapped out, we topped out at 18 viewers live. Woohoo! Um, and we're gonna have a great show next week. You'll you'll have to just stay tuned to find out what it will be. And thank you, Ty, Janine, and Kiana. I I just am my heart is full. My heart is so full. Thank you all. Thank you, Lori. Thank you all for your work. And see you next week on the view. Episode of The View. If you would like to learn more about the CLF, visit questformeaning.org.